Yes. Oh, hello. It's award-nominated comedian Louise Lee here. Oh, thank you for telling me because I may not have remembered that Louise Lee got nominated <gasps> for an award at Leicester Comedy Festival in February. Oh, it's really exciting. It's Listen, it is a medium-sized deal, I'll have you know. Um, is, and I refuse to be humble about it. It's a very medium-sized deal, and <laughs> I know you refuse to, hum- to be humble. <laughs> Podcast listeners, welcome to Early Doors with Louise Lee, nominated for a Best Comedian <laughs> at Leicester Comedy Festival 2022 in February. And God, we've got to hope she doesn't win because it's, we're never going to hear the end of it. I promise to be absolutely insufferable about it for the rest yes. of my life if I win okay um, but let's, not mention, award- let's not mention <laughs> Pauline's achievement at the Leicester Comedy no 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 oh yeah she's doing a pun thing it's really cool <laughs> final of the UK pun championships we know regular listeners will know how much Louise loves it when I throw in a pun ah, the noblest form of shit kind of is if I win the pun championships I will not go on about it for the rest of my life however it's not too late for a new year's gift of all puns blazing the book what I am in with lots of puns but anyway oh do do buy the book I'll add a link to it uh, in the old oh yes please buy it in Waterstones or other bookshops who pay their taxes now listen no Pauline Pauline Pauline, listen Uh, we've got Angela flipping burns on this episode I was so amazed and chuffed that she agreed. Uh, Yes. What did you do to her to make her agree to come on? It's wonderful. Uh, So, yeah, she was brilliant. Absolutely lovely conversation. There's loads of stuff about ADHD and neurodiversity, which really floats my boat. Uh, There's a lady called Bunty Dam in it. I don't know if you remember that, Bunty Dam. Best Um, name ever. Ever. And uh, sounds like a pony. (laughs) And. (laughs) not a pony but also the big fat quiz of the year gets mentioned yes which which we go we Angela really goes on quite a rant about which is fantastic and and so we have as a special present for Angela Barnes arranged that this year's big fat quiz of the year will finally not do what it's been accused of doing in the past and only um, having women on there if they're not comedians um, yeah. So this year there are finally three fabulous comedians on the Big Fat Quiz of the Year. So now you can watch it. Yeah, it's a tiny little victory uh, over the patriarchy and just that one tiny little patch of patriarchy yes. has been destroyed by, I think, our guest Angela Barnes making a massive fuss about it last year. Yes. So shall we just yeah. press play on the old thing, Aruni? Enjoy. Happy New Year. I'm Pauline Eyre. And I'm Louise Lee. This is Early Doors, and we are... Opening doors to other dimensions. Yeah, that... Did that work? Here's how we were... It sort of worked, but he had a bit of extra on the end. We'll edit it out. We probably won't. Here's how it works. We feed information about our guest into our space-time generator, the Dimension Matrix, or Dominatrix for short, and she creates a whole bunch of portals or doors into other dimensions. And then we let our guest peer through the doors into alternative realities. Will they be living out their wildest dreams, trapped in their childhood nightmares? Or some weird bastard mixture of the two. But Louise, who is our lucky guest today? 
It's Mock the Week regular, News Quiz host, officially 2018's hardest working comedian, co-founder of the comedy industry's Home Safe Collective, which aims to get women comics home safely from gigs, and a woman who loves to hunker down in a bunker, it's Angela Barnes! Yay! Hello! Hello! I, I have to correct you on one thing there. I was the third most hardworking comedian in 2018. I don't want to take it away from, I think it was Jason Manford was the hardest working. I can't remember who was second, but third I'll take. Okay. <laughs> it was number of gigs and miles covered? It was, yeah, they, they count up how many gigs you did and, yeah, your mileage. So I'd done over 30,000 miles and uh, yeah. between gigs, yeah. And, um, yeah, it was and a busy year. <laughs> I wonder who was eligible because I bet the open spots weren't eligible <laughs> i reckon there's some open spots covering more gigs than i did that year. yes and if you and i reckon if you also took income into consideration as a negative there would be open spots <laughs> actually i've done 60 open spots for mirth yeah exactly <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh don't get me wrong pauline i still do far too much work for nothing my agent always says to me like you you need to learn the word no for some of the things you end yeah. up doing well thank you well, for not saying no i was to gonna us. say no I, as <laughs> like a veiled dig it absolutely wasn't <laughs> let me put that clear starts with passive aggression okay noted <laughs> and you're oh, a huge people this huge i can't tell you absolutely massive <laughs> and louise is paying it brilliant well, it's, so, it's, so, it's so lovely to have you here um i was just saying uh, before we came on i was saying to angela that i it took me 18 months to pluck up the courage to answer to ask angela to do this and she went i bloody love to it was like oh for fuck's sake i could have asked yeah. him first. <laughs> yeah, so guys follow your dreams that's the message yeah. here, isn't it follow your yeah. dreams Oh. It's always funny when people say, oh, I don't know. To ask. Always ask, like, what's the worst that can happen? I say, right. I can't, you know, you say, yeah. oh, I'm busy or whatever. But yeah, you know. There is oh, somebody extremely famous that I've asked. I sent, a, I sent um, something to her agent and said, would she be able to do this? And the agent has replied, I'm sorry, she's busy on that day. I didn't put a date in. <laughs> oh, oh, that's a, oh, that's one hundred and one agenting. Come on, yeah, absolutely, and that's. I mean, it's fine because it was a, it was you know, it was a chutzpah to try, but it nah. made me laugh when it came back. You got to try these things. I used to before I did stand up. I used to run a gig in a room above a pub just for fun. And I was amazed at some of the people I got because if you just ask, particularly if you ask at a certain time of year when they've got new stuff to try or whatever, yeah. you know, we had all sorts come down to this tiny little room. It's brilliant. So yeah, always ask. Fantastic, brilliant. Well, I also have a gig in North London, but we'll talk later. Yes, um, let's. <laughs> that one is paid, but not very well. Anywho, uh, so, Louise, over to you. Things, yeah, lots of the things that come out of the dominatrix, Angela, are made from the ingredients that come from your own life. Scary. It is. <laughs> but before oh, yeah. we set her off, the, the dominatrix, we've got one more person we need to put in. Can you tell us who Bunty Dan is, please? Apart from uh, the best name ever. Bunty Dan is the best name ever. Bunty Dan is the woman I would like to be. She was somebody, she was my boss um, at a, a homeless organisation I worked for. We used to work um, with people who had been homeless and were, um, it was called Business Action on Homelessness. So we'd work with local businesses to put them in work placements and things so they could have a reference for a CV. Because otherwise you end up in that, can't get a job because you haven't got references, yeah. blah, blah, yeah. blah. Um, so that was the job we did. But she was just this most dynamic, incredible woman who had empathy 
just that I've never seen in anyone to the point where you're like, do you, are you taking a piss? Do you care this much about other people? <laughs> but, um, and she was just, I, I think of her so often because I often, you know, it, that's like, what would Bunty Dan do? Which is a lovely, mm. <laughs> um, there's so W-W-B-D-D. many given situations. <laughs> yeah. And it's yeah. funny. There's a funny story actually with Bunty because when I, first got that job so I'd moved from London to Brighton this is back in 2008 I think it was long before I was doing stand-up but I used to book this little gig and uh, one of my regular then open spots who then became my regular MC was a little comic you may or may not have heard of called James Acaster and and he used to at the time he was still living with his parents in Kettering so he used to come and stay at my flat in Brighton and the day I got the job I opened, I, I got the letter saying I got the job. And I was like, oh, James, I've got this job that I've applied for. Brilliant. And he looked over my shoulder and he went, Bunty Dan, I've gigged with her. And I said, no, you don't. <gasps> what are you talking about? No, you haven't. She's my new boss. And he went, you don't forget a name like Bunty Dan. And it turned out she was a local, she was an open spot oh. in Brighton at the oh, time. Wow. And, um, and she'd done the Jill Edwards comedy course. And so anyway, skip forward. I'd been working there a year or so. And um, it was her who encouraged me to do that course to, um, you know, which started me being a stand-up myself. I mean, I don't think when she encouraged me to do that, she realised that then I'd sack off the job and go and be a comic forever. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, so I, I owe a lot to Bunty Dan. And, That's um, amazing. She's your... Yeah. She's, so when I talk about my journey into comedy, I, I mm. reference... Do you remember there's a joke about the rabbi in the flood and he arrives at the pearly gates and the God says, I sent you someone in a tractor, someone in a boat, someone in a helicopter... Yes. And you didn't fucking get on them. So I have yeah. kind of people like that in my life who went, you could do that. And I went, right? yeah. and when I finally did a course, I think of that as my helicopter. But she was the person who turned up with the tractor and said, get on the tractor. And you listened and you went for it. So that's yeah. amazing. Yeah, yeah, it was great. It was, I mean, I mean to not be too sort of morbid on this, but yeah. I, when I started that, just so I got the job. And literally two weeks later, my dad died. So, oh, between so I when I started the job, I was really bereaved and a bit. And she just was amazing because she, you know, it it could have been really difficult and could have been, um, you know, when you've got you sort of bereaved, just twat. you don't know, yeah. and you just yeah, you know, they suddenly mm. this new person who's not really you know in a good place starts their job. And she was just absolutely brilliant. And she used to do this thing. She, if we had, because sometimes it could be quite a stressful job as well. You were working with some quite chaotic people and, you know, it could be stressful. And if we'd had a particularly stressful day, she'd get me on the back of her scooter. She had a scooter, always kept a spare helmet in the office. She'd put me on the back of her scooter and she'd drive me up to, um, we'd go up to Raysteed Animal Sanctuary, which is in just outside Brighton, because I love donkeys. I've got a thing about donkeys and she knows that. Yeah. And so she'd go, right, come on, let's go and, let's go and see some donkeys. She, you know, if we'd had a bad day at work, we'd just go up and have a look at the donkeys. She was absolutely brilliant. And I, she's I such a mixture of things. Because you, you really remember the person who inspired you to get into comedy. You remember mm. the person who was kind when you were bereaved. Like all yeah. of those things in one absolutely. person. Absolutely. She's, um, she's tremendous. And you remember I must... the person who you rode pillion with on a scooter? I mean, that yes, was absolutely. <laughs> And I always think we must have looked hilarious because she had this little scooter and we were both quite rotund women and we must have looked hilarious <laughs> oh. nipping through Brighton on this scooter. <laughs> I looked. At, I, I spent a little time Googling her yesterday and I have to say, I already love her and I've watched literally one YouTube video about her and I just think, <laughs> oh, the warmth of her. Right, she's a, she's a, she's yeah. a therapist now, I think. She, yeah. um, and, and God, yeah, I, if I didn't know her, I'd be like, yeah, I want her to be my therapist. Yes, I do. <laughs> and she looks like a cuddle. 
yeah she oh, uh, oh she is she's just yeah. adorable she's yeah, brilliant yeah. i love her oh well, she gets me. to go in the flipping dominatrix doesn't she <laughs> right yes, let's pop her in and pop her in with everyone on. else Isn't that a salad spinner? No, it bloody isn't. (laughs) Do I look like I know what a salad spinner sounds like? (laughs) There was a salad spinner at my gig on on Friday night. No. In the green room. There was a salad spinner on the the shelf. I was like, oh my God, Louise has to do this gig. Anyway, sorry, that just reminded me. Uh, Just before we look through the first door, just to explain the game, the good news is we're going to use the power of the dominatrix to allow you, Angela, to walk through any of the doors you want and live the life you see on the other side. Ah, But it's not any of the doors, is it? Because it's only one of the doors. And the bad news is you have to make that decision before you know what all the other options are. (sighs) So So if you see something you like, it's choose it or lose it. Just like real life, isn't it? Oh, this is like that. You know, um, if you read The Bell Jar, Sylvia Plath, and there's a a bit in it where she's sat in a fig tree and she has to choose which fig and it's the thing like you choose which fig to eat but by the time you've decided which fig to eat they're all dead um yeah so you're, like that, that you're, you're, not, <laughs> you're a good decision maker generally, i'm then. a terrible decision maker but i will say what what i always thought they should have ended that passage with is what you do is you just try all the figs and if you don't like it spit it out and try another one and that's yeah. i think that's the adhd I've been diagnosed with ADHD and I think that's what I've done my whole life. Try something. If I don't like it, stop it and do something else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Whereas I eat all the figs. <laughs> I eat all the figs ache. and end up with a tummy ache, very overweight and also uh, doing too many figs. Yeah, yeah but, but, but one of those figs was a really good fig. Exactly. So, so it's it was worth, worth trying it. all the things. I just didn't yeah. need to finish all of them. When I realised it was bad, I could stop eating. That's the tricky bit, learning to spit. <laughs> and I'll leave that there. For you. <laughs> right, should we open you the need. first door Let's on that open the note. First door. <laughs> door number one. We found the level. So, <laughs> <laughs> You've met me, right? Yeah. This is Louise's one, not mine. Is <laughs> it? Oh, yeah. yeah. So uh, what's the worst job you've ever had? Oh, well, I've had some sort of tricky or challenging jobs, but I think the worst I've ever had was the, my first job. I worked in this, it was like a greasy spoon cafe in Maidstone where I lived, where mm. I grew up. And I used to work there after school and on a Saturday. And it was a proper, no one there had a food hygiene certificate. Do you know what I mean? It was a proper, it was this old Italian guy and his wife who was, um, she was from Ecuador and um, they, they yeah, ran this. Uh, and it was just, I mean, the kitchen was disgusting. There was silverfish everywhere. Do you remember silverfish? Oh, they even a yeah, thing well, I still anymore. I have them. Oh, no, I have them in are my house. Are they still a thing? I live in an old and, house. Uh, I oh, it was they just... are recently. And it's something weird. I don't they're really know what they're, they? they're. They're weird little silver insects, but they look a bit fishy. And, uh, they no, are fishy. Yeah. They're fishy yeah. on dry land. Oh. Well, I'm not going to Google it because I don't do well with pictures and things like that. But um, yeah, and it was just a bit grim. And we had these regular customers that were coming there. And some of them were really nice, but some, I mean, it, they, some of them were. Well, let's just say one. At least one of them is in prison. Um, I won't go in. They, they, that's a dark story. I won't go into that. Uh-huh. But um, yeah, it was just uh, the people I worked there with. The other sort of sixteen-year-olds I worked with were all nice, and we. But the 
place. It was just, and it put me off sort of um, any kind of catering or any kind of, you know, and now when I eat in a cafe, I just think, well, I hope their kitchen's better than that one was. (laughs) They don't really exist anymore, Greasy Spoons, I don't think, do they? I mean, hasn't everything gone a bit poncy? It's all gone a bit hipster. I think think they're out there. I think they are out there. Yeah. I mean, this was like... um, wasn't even because they used to do because he was Italian. They used to do sort of lasagnas and spagbol mm. and stuff. But like, yeah. so, but it was all just microwaved out of this big yeah. pot out the back. You know, oh, it was grim. Oh. It was really grim. <laughs> okay, so I'm sorry. The better to the listener, Louise is now. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a great gagger. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so here's here's the thing. In this dimension, you're still there. Oh, your no. skin is greasy, your hair smells like a deep fat fryer and your feet are killing you. Am I still only getting two pounds an hour? Well, I oh. imagine you're getting the equivalent. <laughs> Whoa. So you fill an order in the kitchen, you butter a slice of bread with marge, I assume. You burn your hand on the pan, slop some beans on the plate and take the mess out. And the customer at table four for whom you're making this feast is... Oh, oh. oh. You've gone very blurred. Oh, did I did I lip read and was it Boris Johnson? It's Boris Johnson. Oh. And you're back, Boris Johnson. <laughs> oh. Do you know what? I don't even hear that name without hearing Angela Barnes saying that name. Because <laughs> <laughs> you so often have to, and I hear so often have Boris. Oh like, my gosh. Yeah, I hear you. Yeah, I hear his name with your voice now. Yeah. Yeah, so he's in the greasy spoon. Well, that would be that would be the sort of thing this. he'd do. <laughs> he would be in there, wouldn't he? Because he'd be in there convincing them that that's what he's like. That he's, you know, despite it's the old bad. Farage trick. You know, I'll have yeah. a beer down the. But it's like he wouldn't be seen dead with any of you in a pub. He wouldn't eat. Hey, you maybe know? though, maybe though, this is an alternate reality where he is like just a useless waster without, you know, where his privilege is <sighs> nothing, and he is genuinely. Eating in down a and out. spoon because he's down and out because actually his lack of substance has been hasn't got any of the the yeah. stuff that supports it's Boris it. Johnson yeah. but he went to comprehensive school or that he never you know, achieved yeah. anything society has changed to the extent oh, just, that, you know wouldn't that be amazing would you take was. one for the team if it was that <laughs> would you stay <laughs> when you say would I take one for the team I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, some reason he's likely to be at the greasy spoon. Yeah. <laughs> If it was that, that he wasn't coming in to <laughs> press the flag, <laughs> <laughs> um, would, you, would, you, would you be like, well, hang on, he's, I'm in the gutter, but so is Boris Johnson. And that says something about the world that we live in. That yeah. Is, it is I mean, is that- the thing with Boris Johnson is it's not, the Bor- it's not Boris Johnson as a pack, you know, what he looks like or what he, that's the problem. It's his, it's his personality. It's his, so if that's different, then... Well, he's a different person, so I might, you know, like, but yeah. if he's, you know, a narcissist is going to narcissist. So, yeah. Um, yeah, you know, I think whatever background maybe you're so. from, if you've if, got those traits, but if they're going to come Johnson out somewhere. in this situation, maybe you wouldn't be on two pounds an hour. Uh, well, yeah, yeah, maybe I wouldn't. Maybe I'd be prime minister and I'm in there pressing the flesh with Boris Johnson. Maybe that's... Yeah. Still looking out the beans. Yeah. You're still looking out the beans because you're trying to show that you're a woman of the people. Exactly, I'm keeping it real. Keep it real. <laughs> right there every 
a week. Yeah. Okay. How are you feeling about this door, though? Is this the one you're going to choose? I mean, you'll, you won't be surprised to hear this, <laughs> either of you. But I am slamming that door so hard and running away. <laughs> Did we actually think she was going to say yes to that? <laughs> I just thought I'd posit a, 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 a way in which it could be less of a disgusting and simple thing. <laughs> I mean, if this if this goes gets worse at any point, then I don't know. I mean, that's yeah, just what cool. I mean, like, might ask you to look back and say, are you now regretting this? Yeah. <laughs> okay. I can't imagine the world where I'll regret that, but yeah, who knows what you've got up your sleeve. downhill from here. Yeah. <laughs> Door number two. Ah, you're helping Linda Snell to organise the Christmas mystery plays and she's driving you nuts. You suggest a minor amendment to the script and Linda Snell takes a sharp intake of breath. Fancy this, Angela? Oh, you did the sniff and everything. I love that sniff. Be, this is why I love doing this with you too, because there'll be people, you know, they, this was a young person's podcast. They wouldn't know what on earth you were banging yeah. on about. But <laughs> what you uh, I, I blooming well love the archers. I love it. So, I mean, is, you're saying that behind this door is me helping Linda Snell yeah. with the Christmas you're, play. You're, you're in Ambridge. You work on oh, the archers. I mean, yeah. I, I, I mean, I want to be in Ambridge so badly, but yeah. that's... That's the one. If you'd said it was the Flower and Produce show, fine, I'm on board. Fake committee, I'm on board. But the play, Linda, oh. <laughs> that's true. Am I in the play or am I just helping out? I, I think you're I think you're a bit of a Kirsty this, you know, this oh, year. Why have they got Kirsty organising it? And also, she's the best actor in the whole village. She's, she's the best actor, but also that. like she's in the middle of a personal yes. crisis. Uh, I, I think at that point you might go, do you know what, this year I'm not going to... My, yeah. you know, my guy I thought was my husband that I was in love with is in prison because he's a slave owner, and one of the slaves is, a, yeah, maybe I'll leave the play this year. Maybe <laughs> I, I love that they always find whatever trauma's going on, they find time to learn their lines and do the Christmas play. Well, it's 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 you know it's testament to the force of Linda Snell's character, isn't it? it really is, and you she, know. I mean, she deserved that MBE. You know, yeah, she definitely did. She's, yeah, I have, I'm not as oh. upstate with it as I would like to be. I don't know if I'm just not at the radio. She's so great because she's she was so obviously yeah. this two dimensional awful character, and they've mm. they've made her so much more. And so she's well, it, I find her absolutely hilarious, but also love her, which I can't I, believe would happen. Yeah. I think that's what the Archers does really well is they mm. get characters that you can absolutely see their flaws, but you still love them. Like Lillian. I mean, Lillian's my favourite yes. character by a million yeah. miles. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> In real life, I'd find her an entitled, snobby... I, You know, there's no way we'd get on. Yeah. But there's just something about her as a character that I, is just really appealing. The fact that she, you know, drinks gin and smokes and doesn't care and... Yeah. Um, Oh. Yeah, yeah, and they're really good at doing. It. And I think they've done that with um, Joy, the new character as well, that's come she's in, and everyone's like, "Oh, busybody neighbour," but you're like, "Oh, she's actually brilliant." And like, yes. yeah, I wouldn't particularly want to live next door to her because it'd be annoying, but yeah. she's great. Yeah, and also, yeah, I love what Susan. I also love is Susan is great. Yeah, Susan's yeah, yeah. a therapist in real life. Oh, she's a counsellor the rest of the time. She? That actor. Yeah. Mm. Um, what I love about her is that she is dreadful and she's a horrible gossip, but. But people are so kind and they love her. And the same mm. with Joy is is 
Joy has come out as this lovely person because people have been so loving to her. It's like, oh, well, you're lovely. You know, um, please come and help with this. Or will you babysit my kids? Or my kids really love you. And they've made her, you know, they've given her because of the kindness of others or what we've seen as the kindness of others is really nice. Yeah, they do round characters out really well. Yeah. Really? Oh, yeah. I mean, we, we still don't know what's going on. I mean, this has turned into an Archer's fan podcast, but yeah. sort of. <laughs> We still don't know what's, what what this is all about with Rochelle. I mean, it's been a couple of. That's what I like about yes, the Archers I can't as well. Wait to find is that Rochelle. they play the long game so well because they yes. know they're not going anywhere. You know, they've been going sixty five years. They're not get. Yeah. They're not going anywhere. So they can plant a seed now that won't play out till a decade later. Yeah, yeah. <coughs> and that's what which I love about it. Which is a gloriously it. a glorious farming analogy. So yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, yeah. so it is. Well, so um, you are you are. One of the stars of the Archers, fancy it? I mean, ah, oh, it feels really bad to go this early, but I can't turn it down, Paul. I can't. Well, he wants me to be in the Archers. Yet. Let's see. So, so oh, okay, far, okay, okay. So far, really up for this. okay. Let's see whether you get somebody good. So, most of your scenes are with your Ambridge partner. You have a passionate but tempestuous relationship, and this character is played by. Hmm. Oh dear. <laughs> well, what are you going to say? I'm going to say political journalist Peter Oborn. Oh, God. And just oh, okay. Well. dropped. <laughs> okay. Oh, I mean, way to throw a spanner in that works. <laughs> I, it wasn't me, it was the dominatrix. I mean, I, I think I've already gone through the worst I can go through on Radio 4 with Peter Oborn. I, I did a news <laughs> quiz with him. And I think what happened, because he's a, you know, he's a right of centre journalist. He's, uh, he worked for the Daily Telegraph, worked for the Daily Mail, whatever. And uh, he was doing the news quiz a couple of years ago now. And he obviously hadn't, I don't know if he'd ever done the news quiz before, if he had it, it'd been a long time before. And this was still under Miles Jupp. And um, I think he just really misinterpreted the sort of dynamic of news quiz. And I think he thought... He'd been booked as a sort of renter right winger Katie Hopkins figure. Wow. And um wow. and the news quiz doesn't really do that because it no, doesn't no. need to. You know, it has people right of centre and it has people left of centre and it you know, you all yeah. sort of play the game together. And it doesn't do that sort of antagonizing thing. It's yes. just not what it's about. And the audience don't want it, the panelists don't want it, it's not what it is. And and the show works best when everyone is just funny together. Yes. And he came, so I was, he was on my team. He was sat next to me and, um, just straight out of the trap. He, I can't even remember what he said, but he just said something so provocatively appalling. And, and I thought, I'm not biting this because I can see what he's doing, but he just yeah. dug it. And we were supposed to be on the same team, you know? <laughs> and at one point, I remember my, my husband was in the audience and he said he could, he knew I, because I was trying to, it was at the radio theatre with a live audience, you know, so I'm trying yeah. to sort of keep it together, but he said he could see the tips of my ears going red. Where I was so angry. <laughs> he was like, I knew you were just like, because oh, you were just... He like, knows the Amplibar's early warning system. Oh, my God. He, he was... Oh. I, I mean, I've never, ever, ever, before or since, seen a news quiz audience boo someone. And he got booed twice in that recording. And, I mean, in the edit, it made it... I mean, he didn't come off great in the edit. And I think he did a tweet on the day it went out that said something like, you know, oh, I was on news quiz with this week i think i misjudged it horribly or something okay um, good. and and i think that's what he'd done because like after the recording as well we always all go down the pub for a drink after the recording and he just did he just went home and i think he'd gone oh i've i've misjudged I this i've fucked this and um 
because he just said some horrible things. Like there was um, Lloyd Langford was on, and that's right. It was I think it was me, Lloyd Langford, and Lucy Porter. So he was up against three comics, and you know, and you don't heckle yeah. three comics, don't, because no. yeah. he just made himself look such an idiot. And I wish I could remember some of the things he said. I think I blocked them out. There was one thing about. Um, that's right. There's one thing about the armed services, one story, something about um, trauma in the armed services and sort of how, you know, mental health uh, provision for ex-servicemen is really bad and something. And this is a field I used to work in. In fact, with yeah. Bunty Down, we used to work with yeah. a lot of ex-servicemen. And um, and so the question went to Lloyd Langford, who's obviously a brilliant, well, stand-up comic. And he starts giving the answer, like, in a, you know, doing his jokes about the, yeah. this story. And Peace Rover just picks oh. You think you're some sort of expert on the army, do you? And Lloyd was like, no, I'm a comedian on a panel show answering a question I've been asked. Like, what what point have I said? I'm, this isn't a debate show. This isn't, I haven't yeah. been brought on to talk about the army. I'm a comedian doing my job. It was really weird. And then I said something about, oh, he said something about how the British um, look after their their ex-service personnel better than oh. anywhere else. And that's, oh. I lost it then because I'd worked in that and that really? was a point where I was like, right, fuck being funny. I'm I'm done with this. This is and uh, just had a rant, which didn't make the edit. But um, <laughs> yeah, he was just a but vile. And, and doing that in front of the live audience because you're kind of like part of you. You kind of can go if you if it was just a record, you could go okay, reset, stop. Yeah. Are you sure this is how you want to do it? Exactly. Exactly. But when he's live, he's just got to dig in that true little shitty yeah. trench he's made for himself. That's exactly what happened. Because like you say, if, if the audience hadn't been there, Miles or someone probably would have gone, just so you know, this isn't how this usually works and you might want to dial that back a bit. But you can't yeah. say that in front of the audience. Yeah. You know, so like you say, you just dug in. And it was just but also, you unpleasant. get the news quiz. Do listen to an episode. You know, just just yeah. get the really, energy. Just get, do only get one the, episode. And yeah. rather than going, right, I'm going to be this, just find out if this is what's needed. Was Katie Hopkins on last week? No, actually. Exactly. And I think that's yeah. what he, th- he just made an assumption that that's what yeah. they wanted him for. And he over exit. And, um, and it's weird because I remember because I knew I was going to be on a team with him. And I knew roughly what some of the stories would be that week, you know, whatever yeah. was in the news. So I read his columns about those things just to sort of go see where he yeah. was at on them. And broadly, we agreed about a lot of stuff, you know, it, that he'd written in yeah. his columns, even though, yeah. you know, he's a right winger or whatever, but he's not, yeah. he's never been that extreme. Yeah. And so I was like, oh, okay, well, I think, we, yeah, you know, there'll be some stuff we can bounce off each other with here, fine, that we broadly agree. And then he just went bang on this. And I just yeah. thought, oh, that's so unpleasant. But... So yeah, so those, now you've... Oh. You don't want to get around the back of the bull then. Do that. <laughs> oh, they'll be well, kissing your hand. Not, that sounds a bit <laughs> <laughs> Apparently they don't do that now. Apparently they actually kiss now. <gasps> do they? That's what I've heard. Yeah. Well, don't yeah. snog really Don't snog their hands anymore. No. Although that might have gone back to snogging hands in the pandemic Anything era, maybe. Sure. Maybe it has. Really? But um, I, yeah. I wouldn't mind yeah. seeing the footage of Lizzie Parger to snogging. Casey. <laughs> <laughs> Just oh, down, dear. <laughs> <laughs> I think. Um, okay. So, so Oborn. So, yes, so you're having a passionate but tempestuous. You see, I think I think I'm still tempted because oh. if it's if it's Peter Oborn as you know, not the Peter Oborn that was just weird on news quiz and turned up that day 
um, you know, that, that might be quite a, a fun storyline, mightn't it? Sort of left-wing comic, right-wing journalist yeah. putting together, oh, what happens if they fall Ooh, in love, you know? Fly. Oh, yeah. sparks fly, but they... Oh, a bit of, oh. yeah. could, could be a bit of fun. <laughs> Do I want to live that life forever? Hmm. Well, mm. she wants to go down the ball. He wants an evening at Lower Loxley. Exactly. That's right. Right. Uh, uh, you know, I mean, this is this isn't this isn't you live in Ambridge now. This is your mm. it's the Archers. If it was you live in Ambridge now, which would you prefer? If it mm. taking the Peter Oborn out, Ambridge is real, or or I'm in the Archers, or you're in the Archers. No, I, I think I'm in the Archers is what I want because I. I don't want Ambridge to be real because then it will get tainted by just real life stuff. Mm. And I like I like the idea as well of, you know, part of my love for the Archers is the whole world of, you know, lovey actors. I, I imagine them in between takes, you know, <laughs> sitting, discussing what, what rep season they're doing or, you know, yeah. all of that. I want a bit of all that. So, so yeah. in that case, I think because I don't have to, you know, it's not like I'm going to have to live with Peter Oborn. I'm just going to have to do scenes yeah. with him. Yeah. I'm tempted to stick at this one because I want to be oh. in the Archers so badly. I might live to regret it, but I can't walk away, I can't walk away from the Archers. <gasps> so you've chosen Dawn. Choosing Dawn Ooh, I'm going to choose two. Dawn number two. I'm oh. doing it. I'm putting on my car. I'm doing it. Oh, I'm gonna, this I'm is gonna press the wild applause button then. <laughs> This is so unlike me, so no, unlike me to do this. But it's such a part-time job. It's yeah. quite, you know you you have intense amounts of work for a few weeks, and then you do nothing for a year or something. Yes, so you join in the arches, so you a quarter yeah. of that fig, don't you? Yeah. I mean, really, it's only a quarter of a fig. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you're still doing so, the rest of the stuff that you're doing. I still do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Other figs. Okay, let's see. Because I do what, voice acting, and I'm right with you. I would kill for it. Love oh, it. Love oh, it. Yeah. yeah. Okay, I am going to uh, open door and see what figs you've rejected. Oh. Door number three. Okay, hit me with it. I'm ready. Cool. Oh. It's the day of your first A level exam. Mm. But here's the thing you haven't revised. Is this, is this in character? Would never happen. <laughs> Would never happen. Not in a million years. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, girly swat, I am. <laughs> uh, How would you so, feel? Is this something that, is this a dream you've ever had? It's a dream I still have. I mean, I'm 45 and I still wake up going, but it's always, for some reason, I'm always going to a physics A-level exam. I've never done physics <laughs> and I'm going That's to a, a physics A-level exam and going, oh God, I haven't revised physics. So of course you haven't, you, you don't know anything about physics, but... <laughs> Yeah, but still happens all the time. That's interesting. Yeah. Your anxiety dreams are still about exams. Even. Oh, yeah. It's, it's either exams or it's I'm in a play and I'm about to go on stage and I realise not only do I not know my lines, I don't even know what the play is. Yes, so I can't, you know, I'm just oh. about to go on going, yeah. God, what is this? What? Yeah. <laughs> and out you go. Yeah. yeah. My mum's is that she's got to get ready for a do in a station toilet and she opens her bag and finds that she hasn't got any clean tights. And then she oh. finds that she hasn't got a lipstick. And then she finds this and she hasn't got the frock. And then she finds she hasn't got the shoes. <laughs> That's my oh, mum's wow. anxiety. I love, I love it. Wow. So I dreamt last night. I dreamt last night that I forgot 
to come into the room to do this today and I called you Louise and you'd forgotten as well and we were like maybe Angela's gone there and she's there on her own <laughs> just sat in here twiddling with yeah, when I when I woke up I assumed I'd overslept and missed it it was four hours ago <laughs> so weird and then I put up an hour early put the shits yeah. right up next. <laughs> yeah. oh, um, uh, and I also but, have to say yeah. that I did arrive outside my first A-level with a hangover and Ooh, I, I look right now and think, I cannot believe I went out and partied the night before my first day level. I, did, I was pretty good. I Well, I had a weird situation <clears throat> with my A-level. So my dad at the time, well, I mean, he was always my dad, not my dad at the time. That dad, um, he'd, he'd uh, been really ill. So he had a quadruple heart bypass. At the time he was single. And so he was in hospital at Guy's. And so I was, because um, my parents had divorced. And oh. so I was going to see my dad at the hospital and then coming back to do an A-level and staying with friends in London. So it was all just wow. chaotic. And yeah. um, so I didn't get what I was predicted four A's at A-level and I got an A and three B's in the end, which I was pretty pleased with considering mm, yeah. all this was yeah, happening. Yeah. So, yeah, so my, um, my A-level exams were, I'd done the revision, but it was all a bit chaotic. Uh, mm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's wow. why you do the revision, though, people, children, because yes. if, the, if the shit hits the fan, you've still got yeah. the information, you know, and you can still smash it. Right. That's anyway. it. So I you didn't are. do the revision and I didn't smash it. <laughs> <laughs> I, you, I you're not one of these. So you weren't one of these annoying people who didn't do the revision and still managed to do all right. That's annoying. I didn't. I didn't. <sighs> I didn't do well, but I did enough. I got it. Because in I'm, those days, because what I now know to go is to polytechnic and do drama and have a wonderful time. Oh, you are amazing. And then learn how to work and then get a degree that I worked for. See, I had at school. I was fighting. Obviously, I had undiagnosed ADHD, but I was yeah. such an anxious because it presents very differently in in girls. So I was so anxious that I would over prepare for things and I that's a pattern still today but to the point but I because of the sort of executive dysfunction with ADHD I would I would still do it quite last minute but I would do it and I would um you know be awake all night the night before and I would Mm. but it would that's just how I work I need a little bit of last minute panic yeah to get me through it but I would never ever in a million years have gone into an exam without that preparation never yeah I was. I I think I'm probably undiagnosed ADHD as well, and I have. Um, and I'm do charts at the beginning of the process, charts and posters. And oh, and they're beautiful, colour coded. Beautiful. Oh, Never yeah, yeah. Don't do them. Yeah. Then do not execute them, and then shit yourself the night before. That's me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> same. Same. Oh, I'd have the most beautiful revision timetables, but I still do that now. My to do lists are works of art, but oh, you yeah, know. bullet journals. Oh, oh, hello. I've got mine right here, bullet journals. Oh, yes. Don't you worry about that. That's there. But, oh, yeah. Every morning I spend half an hour doing my list, making it make it all pretty, doing that, and then go, oh, you know you're behind. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I still, I still sometimes drive to a gig and think I will go over my set in the car and then... Special on Friday night. I'll listen to the news quiz and mm. <laughs> listen to that fantastic oh, new podcast program, and uh, and and then think, oh, geez, I was going to do it when I finished. That. And I would, st- I will still sometimes go on stage and go, I didn't go through my set. I, I, and that is such a bad. I mean, it's it it obviously works for me because it's adrenaline and I'm in mm. the moment because I'm I've, I've got to just go with this because that's where I am. But I but I still hate myself for it. 
Oh, it's, I mean, there has to be some jeopardy for me to do it. So, like, for example, you know, if I'm doing Mot the Week or something, it has to be like, well, you're going to look like a tit on telly if you don't do it. Yes. You know, it has to be quite a big jeopardy for me to do it. But things like, I mean, I always say I don't think I've ever finished writing a solo show because there's always a bit where I go, you know, you do a preview of a show, a work in progress of a show, and you're like, right, that bit really needs work. And then before I know it, I'm at the next preview and I've not done any. You know, yeah. you go, get to that bit again. You're going, oh, yeah, that still yeah. needs work. But still, yeah. And then I end up, then I'm suddenly I'm, you know, on tour going, oh, I never did work on that bit and make it better. <laughs> I'm still, I'm still doing the half-assed version of it. And the half-assed version so in your muscle memory that, you you know, if you rewrote it and you you'd put yeah. sharper gags in or whatever it needs, you would, yeah. you know, it, it, yeah. you wouldn't remember And then you've anyway. got Bridget Christie who wrote, who's written Edinburgh shows on the train to Edinburgh. Yeah, I mean, that's that's something. I mean, that's, I, that's, but I just couldn't take that. I, you know, I think I said to you ladies earlier, my, my agent, he has a little catchphrase, which is Barnsley always does her homework because I can't take those risks. I'm not, I would love the level of self-confidence to think that I could yeah. get away with that, but I don't have it. So I have to prep, um, you know, and sometimes over prep for things yeah. uh, just because the, the thought of failure is so the fear of failure or, or resultant humiliation is so mm. great that, yeah. I think I'll they're the all, I think they're all a similar psychology though. Cause I also mm. think I also have the fear of failure of, of what if I put all this time into write it and then it's rubbish and then, and then get onto the stage and go, I should have, I should have, I sh-. it's not, mm. not, I shouldn't have written it. It's, it's, I'm at the level of comedy where it's, will I remember everything <laughs> or will I remember what I want to do or which bit shall I do tonight? Yeah. But I do, I love making that decision on the stage and going, oh no, I'm going to, I'm going to go off and do that bit. I haven't done that bit for ages. Mm. I hope I remember it. Off I go. And I quite like that feeling, but it's also, but it's just as much a feeling of, why didn't I, there's much of beating myself up, I think, yeah. in my psychology as there is in your psychology. I think yeah. we're just beating ourselves up. I think you're right. Ways. And, and there's certainly sometimes where that, that fear <clears throat> paralyzes me rather than makes me act. It depends on the, the like yeah. I say, on the level of jeopardy, really. There's sometimes when I just, I'm so worried about it that I'm just paralysed by doing anything about it. And then yeah. people go, why don't you just do it? And you're like, because well, it's not that easy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, you know, I um, a process before that to yeah. get to that stage. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Exactly. And that's what executive dysfunction, which is a big feature in ADHD for women, is mm. that it's having the time to do something, having the ability to do something and having the desire to do something, but still for some reason not doing it. And and I never had um, a vocabulary for that before. And I was like, I knew I wasn't just lazy uh, that yeah. I couldn't be asked because people who are just lazy and can't be asked just can't be asked and they just don't care, you yeah. know. Whereas I cared so much, I'd make myself ill, you know. Yeah. And so I was like, well, that's not that's not, not caring, but why am I not just doing it? Yeah. You know, yeah. I know I can do it. I've got the ability and I've got time and I've got all the things. I need. Why am I not just doing it? And it's like this block. Mm. And that is, um, it's called executive dysfunction. And it's a real feature of ADHD in women of, yeah. of just for some reason. And they think it well, might be it's, tied it's into... It's also a feature in, in men. I've got a kid with ADHD and autism. Mm. And um, um, and it's, just, it's also a feature in men, but they, they're mm. not expected to function at the same level as we are. Yeah. Right? So I think... Yeah, um, maybe, maybe. So, I mean, it's, you know, that it's all right to be a slightly chaotic man. Uh, or Yeah, there the, is that. There's, there's definitely there's, sexism in the in the diagnostic process in the past, definitely. But yeah. also I think it's just how it, how it, um, 
manifesting how it sounds to someone else is you you know if someone's saying to you mm. oh they had time they had that how can it be anything but laziness as to that, that yeah. why, how can that paralysis be anything else and it's so hard to explain it when you don't understand what executive dysfunction is and when I didn't know what it was and I was like look I know I'm not lazy but I also don't know why I haven't done it and I can't explain it to you and I can't you know it's wow. making me ill the worry about not having done it is making me you know it, in yeah. I've ended up in hospital with chest pains over a, a thing I had to write because I just couldn't do it, but I knew this deadline was coming and I couldn't work so out what was going on, you know, and it's just a... It's this a, is really, really familiar. This yeah. is frighteningly familiar. But also, well, um, I found since since being in menopause that ooh, I'm that I'm doing a lot more forgiving myself. I actually now go, that's what I'm like. Yeah. I know well, I'm that, like that, this, that's and I'll probably of... get away with it because I always somehow do. I know I still got to Polytechnic. I still did a degree. Mm. I learned how to work eventually. And it was all lovely. And I had a fantastic time, better time than if I'd got the A-levels yeah. I needed. Well, I, I well, don't I... think I 100% wanted the course. So uh, it, it, it's fascinating. I think of it like that. So I think it helps to think of it like Because I, when I got, so I was 44 when I was diagnosed. And there was some anger because you go, you know, if I'd been a boy, it would have been picked up. If I, you know, if it was happening to me now, it would have been picked up and all of those things that can make you angry. And I spent, you know, I got misdiagnosed quite badly. So I, at one point, was diagnosed with bipolar. I've been on antidepressants since I was 18, on mood stabilizers and all sorts of drugs, which Mm -hmm. I'm now not on. And um, there was a lot of anger about wasted time, you know, because I always say, you know, I'm a 45 year old woman with a 35 year old woman's outlook because I feel like I lost my 20s. I was in and out of hospital. I wasn't well. I just lost them mm. to not be, you know, and that it's angry that I won't get that back. But also you go, OK, all that happened and it was traumatic and it was awful, but it brought you here. Yeah. You know, it brought you to where you are now and where I am now, I really, really like and you go, well, if that if I hadn't had AGHD or if it had been yes. diagnosed, maybe I'd be, um, you know, I, I would have not changed jobs so often. I would not have been so restless. I would not have been so, yes. up, you know, depressed. And I would have just, you know, do, actually, maybe it would have been better for the world if I was stayed being a nurse rather than a bloody oh, clown. No, but, oh, no. um, but, you know, I, I, do, I might have been more useful. But I don't think, you know, you just think, well, but look at your life now. I really, I get yeah, to do yeah. this crazy job where people pay me for mucking about I get to hang out with loads of different people and you know it, I feel really lucky and, and you get all the, dopamine married you need. Yeah. all the dopamine I need and I just yeah. you just go well, well if you're happy in this moment now then whatever brought you there's gone hasn't it and you just have to yeah. there's no point yeah, yeah. my dad that was one thing my dad always used to say was regret is a wasted emotion there's no mm. waste of your energy and you it's have to also try so and... much a part of um <clears throat> it's a part of uh, disability politics and disability um, and people who sort of coming to terms with what a disability is to mm. someone who has one. And actually, yeah. when people are quite active in disability politics, it, they tend to feel, I don't want to not be disabled because mm. de- being disabled has made me has made me this person. And, yeah. that, and is that a disability in a, in, and a negative thing? I'm only disabled by, you know, um, by a building that isn't yeah. accessible or a or yeah. a you know, uh, assistance yeah. that isn't provided or the fact that the world isn't set up for my, for the things about me that are different, but the things yeah. about me that are different are glorious. Yeah, absolutely. And I do, I mean, I, I do uh, struggle with the whole, you know, ADHD is a superpower thing because I think like, for, and similarly yeah. that there was a narrative for a long time about people with autism as well, that, you know, people with autism are really clever and really, you go, hang on, not everybody yeah. has the same right. experience, you know, exactly. and, yeah. and by doing that, by having that narrative yeah. that it's somehow a superpower, then if you're one of the people affected with it, who isn't 
high functioning or isn't, then you're yes. made to feel a failure again. Yeah. So I don't like that yes. narrative. But what I do think is important, it, I think the important thing is, because a lot of people who, let's use the term neurotypical, have said to me, why is, why does it, why do you want to be labeled? Why is diagnosis important? Why does it matter? How's it changed your life? And I say, it's very easy for you to say that because you're operating in a world that is set up for you. Yeah, and yes. it's very difficult when it comes to how we think. I think it's very difficult to, because we don't know how other people think. That's why diagnosis is so hard because you grow yeah. up thinking, well, I'm dealing with the same brain as everyone else. Why is mine behaving so weirdly? Why is mine doing things oh, different, you know, oh. without, before you know that it's just a structural difference. And I always say it's like um, if you're left-handed, for example, the world is set up for right-handed people. But we don't yeah. say that left-handed people don't exist. We know they do. They just have to adapt yeah. to living in a right-handed world. And that's the same as my diagnosis. It's like being told I'm left-handed. So I have to say, well, look, just because I'm now diagnosed and a load of us are being diagnosed now, um, doesn't mean that the world is going to change. It's not. It's not going to suddenly adapt to suit the 4% mm. of us that have ADHD, right? It's, it's got right, to suit the majority. Scissors in exactly. So what it, but, but that's down to yeah. us to make and find those adaptations. Yeah. But I can't do that unless I have the label, yeah. unless I know what's yes. going on. Yes. You know, I, in the same yeah. way, I can't cut, you know, no, I've got heart disease until someone tells me I've got heart disease or something. Yeah. Yeah. So, so labeling for one of a better word or diagnosis is fundamentally important in knowing, like I say, I use the phrase sorting. I feel like I've been sorted into my category. And so now I can, yeah. I can work with that you know and it's like i agree with that the superpower and i agree and Mm. i and i really hate the hero thing Mm. but equally it's it's about it's about this part of myself and if it's this part of myself Mm. and and it's about accepting myself and learning to love myself so so um as a left-hander there are Mm. loads of things for me that are inaccessible it's not a big deal it's really not a big deal but it's a good analogy because it's like oh some things are a bit of a pain in the neck but you know what makes me a hell of a better tennis player because i really love tennis i play Mm. tennis left-handed i'm harder to play i've got a swinging lefty serve and so I found the thing that makes being left-handed glorious. Yeah. And that doesn't, that doesn't make the rest of the time when I'm trying to cut something with a pair of scissors any less annoying. But yeah. it's, but it, so it's, it's all of acceptance yeah. of this is a good thing about me and also a bit of a bugger. Exactly. It can be, it can be both things simultaneously. It can be frustrating, right. but, but it can also be... walking onto a tennis court. Well done, you. Well <laughs> yeah. done. Yeah. yeah. left hand. Yeah. But I also I think, think that it's um, uh, this kind of... I've completely forgot what I was going to say then. It was a really I've good point. But I've got a thing. I've got a thing. When my son was getting diagnosed, oh, people would say, why are you labelling him? Um, and I would say, he is getting labelled every day. People are putting labels on him mm. that he's naughty, mm. that he's mm. annoying, that he's this, he's that. And I said, now he gets to hold up a sign. Yeah. It, and it that is makes such a difference to him. And he says the day he got his diagnosis when he was seven was the best day of his life. And I would never want to take that away from him. In my, albeit limited experience, but in my experience of my previous working life as well, the people that are most concerned about labels are people who haven't got one. Yeah. The people who don't need one. Um, mm-hmm. And, and they're, they're, you know, it's sort of neurotypical people who think that you're labeling that child in that way. That child probably wants a label more than anything else because it answers all the questions they have why am I not like Mm. everyone else why is this happening why is that happening why am I struggling why am I a failure the only word I ever had for my life was failure yeah and uh, you know that's 
you can't that's how you end up depressed and suicidal so that you know if I'd been told I had ADHD and I needed to this that and the other to function better that wouldn't that failure label wouldn't have been there so it's only neurotypical people that are concerned with labeling their kids and I get it I understand why but your if your kid does need that not labeling them is not going to stop them having the problems no you know if they've got these issues not telling them they've got ADHD, it's not going to stop them having ADHD or autism. They it's just still know. going to mean they don't get it. We still know. We all still know how we fit into the world, I think, especially mm. if we don't entirely yeah. feel that we fit into the world. We know exactly where we sit in mm. the class spectrum. We know exactly where we sit in the intelligence, in the success measurements. We all mm. know where we sit. And mm. so to to to, you know, to not be open about that and say, well, this is why this is where you're, you know, mm. where this comes from is yeah. just foolish. Anyway, we've got to, this is so amazing. Sorry, I'm sorry, this is for another podcast. Fantastic, but I think we've got to, we've got to, uh, yeah. we've got to move on. Yes. So you're outside this exam room, you're bricking yes. it, the door opens and out of that room strides someone. They walk straight up to you and they look you dead in the eye and they say, should we get out of here and do something more fun? And that I love this. I love that this isn't this is so not Angela. You haven't done your homework. You're outside. You're absolutely. And now someone's going. Do you fancy not doing the exam and doing something more fun? Does this? I, I does this can't imagine who this person would have to be. I can't imagine who this person would have to be for me to sack off that exam and go with them. Let's see. Okay, let's see. <laughs> oh God, I'm going to break your heart because remember, you can't have this. Right. I don't want to do this. It's Linda Get Smith. <gasps> oh, no. I'm so sorry. Oh, mate. Oh, I'm what so have you done? I'm so sorry. <laughs> it wasn't her. It was the dominatrix. Okay. Um, explain for our listeners who... who... Linda Smith, um, she was a comedian. Uh, she sadly passed away in 2006. She was only 48 when she died. And she... I first came across her... Because I'm a Radio 4 comedy nerd. I grew up listening to Radio 4 comedy with my dad. And, um, but I, you know, I come from a very working class family and nobody on Radio 4 sounded like anyone I knew, anyone. It was posh men, posh men, that was it. And then on News Quiz, they started to have not so posh men. Like that, oh, that's great. Jeremy Hardy, not such a posh man. Mark Steele, not such a posh man. Brilliant. And then Linda Smith came along and she was a not posh woman. And it was like, she sounds like me because she we're, she's from Kent as well, but she was born just down the road from where I was born, and um, and it was just this like oh hang on a minute she's not playing a bit part in a sitcom she's not mm. the um, the foil so the men can be funny she's not yeah. giving them all the feed lines she's really funny and but she's not trying to be them either she's not mm. you know trying to posh up or trying to be very male or she's talking about her life experience and it's really funny and she's and they really respect her which was mm. you know they, they're not taking a piss out of her they're not putting her down she's a peer to these people and I you remember, that, you know, I, I remember I remember also having a similar feeling and thinking everyone on Radio 4 doesn't have to sound like me and yeah. that was, all, but it was, it was yes. just, yes. I mean, for you, that must have been really inspirational. Yeah. For me, it was, there is more to the world than yeah. posh people like you. And that equally wonderful and beautiful. And she was, I, I, yeah, absolutely. She hero. was so, so brilliant. Yeah. And, and, um, 
you know, she did bits of telly as well. She was on QI. She was on, um, there's a lovely episode you see on YouTube of her on Room 101 with Paul Merton. It's really oh, lovely, really down. funny. Yeah, it's great. And she, what I loved about her was she was so, um, warm and yes, approachable and, but took no prisoners. Like she, Particularly because she would write, um, I mean, she was a lifelong socialist. She was uh, president of the Humanist Society and she took no prisoners. Like you wouldn't, she wasn't kind to everyone. You know, if you deserved a roasting, you got a roasting. Um, And I just, I wouldn't be doing this. Like she was my number one inspiration. And I had this wonderful, I know we've we've banged on loads, but I've got to tell you this story because it was so lovely. I, back in, it was in 2013, and I was doing um, Stand Up for the Week on Channel 4. And it was my first telly gig, really, my first sort of big thing that I'd done. And um, I was sat in the dressing room one day, waiting just before we started filming. And my phone rang. And it was a number I didn't recognise, but I answered it. And it was Warren Lakin. Now, Warren Lakin was Linda Smith's partner. Partner, yeah. And he'd written um, a book about her life, um, which is brilliant. Do read it. Um, and he was her partner, but he was like a tour manager as well. You know, he he sort of managed her, if you like. He's a yes. he's retired now. He's just retired, but he was a, a comedy producer, and they've been together for years and years and years. And um, obviously, he, she died in two thousand six, and he phoned me. And what had happened? I'd done some press for Stand Up for the Week, and obviously, they always ask you the same questions. They always ask you who's your biggest inspiration, and I'd always say Linda Smith. And um, and he'd found my phone. He got my phone number for someone, asked around, and he just wanted to phone me to say, um, sort of thank you for for keeping Linda, you know, in people's minds oh. and stuff because he'd read these interviews. And I was just, and I spoke to him for about half an hour. Just the loveliest, loveliest man. Anyway, long story short, we've become really good friends now, Warren oh. and I, and his his new partner Debs. They're really lovely, and. Um, for our, um, he, he took me to, that's right, he was just donating Linda's archive to University of Kent as a comedy archive. And um, he was donating, he'd finished writing the book and he was donating her archive. So it was things like her notebooks, early recordings of her open spots on tapes and things. And he took me to go to University of Kent to go through that with him. So I sat and I listened to like these tapes of her. It was incredible. And even things like he had some notepads that on news quiz that she'd scribbled on, you know, what during the show and stuff like that. She'd written little notes on and set lists and things, you know, you're just like, I'll never get to meet her. But I just got to this amazing insight into who she was. And, um, and then for our, I got married a couple of months ago and for our wedding, he, um, this, uh, Joe Brand a few years ago commissioned a portrait of Linda for a charity and um long story short it got auctioned off this beautiful uh painting of linda and the buyers never collected it they paid the money but they never collected the paint so it was just sort of gathering dust at the charity and the charity contacted warren and said um you know should we resell this because it looks like yeah. they're never going to collect it it was years ago and um he bought it and gave it to us for a wedding present oh so we've got in our Jesus. hallway now just this <laughs> beautiful oh, portrait of, of Linda um so yeah I, I never got to meet story. her but she's a massive part of my life uh, yeah you know oh, and lots of people that I consider friends now like Mark Steele were her friends you know and, and oh. Jeremy as well sadly we lost him but um oh. and you know to hear them talk about her and 
you know, and yeah. Mark says to me sometimes, and Warren says, you know, oh, I think you would have gone really well with them. And I'm like, oh, don't say it. It's really, yeah. yeah. Oh, so, so this is a, a hard one to walk away from. However, yeah. however, I do think that Linda would understand that I'd want to get my exams. Because <laughs> she would, she would understand. She would have been much me at 18 that. outside that thing, outside that door, you might have, um, yeah, you might have saved some time getting into comedy. Yeah, maybe. May, or I would have. I think if I tried to do it alongside Linda, I would have given up much. <laughs> I can't do this. <laughs> I also think if I tried doing it when I was 18, I wouldn't have made 20. Oh. I wouldn't have had anything to talk about for a start. Yeah. 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 But yeah. all that rejection when you're so young. Yeah, um, no way. You know, you've got I mean, to be quite I was, yeah. tough. I was 33 yeah. when I did my first open spot. And sometimes I get, I go like, no, I wish I'd done it a bit earlier. But then you go, A, I wouldn't have had anything to say. And B, I just didn't have the confidence. I didn't. Yeah. I, I was 48. <laughs> Yay! Yeah, I was in my 40s yeah. as well. Yeah. 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 No, Never too late. I, well, let's walk Never away waving sadly from the exam hall and Linda. Uh, let's see what's next. Door number four. So, here's another one that you can't have, but, oh, right. no, you're in a nuclear bunker. Ah, is, yay! <laughs> is this the end of the world, Angela? <laughs> no, it's just where I like to hang out. I have my hen do in a nuclear bunker. I am a big nuclear bunker fan. I'm a Cold War nerd, nuclear bunker fan. Um, I, won't, I won't, I mean, I'll, that's something I could definitely bore on at you about forever about the Royal so Observatory and nuclear bunkers but is it so when you go to a nuclear bunker is it like a, mm. it's a, a museum well there's different there's different types and there's different so some are preserved as museums but in so in the UK there are and I'm talking specifically Cold War nuclear bunkers mm, God knows right. what's there now because you know they won't tell me but um <laughs> apparently i don't have the right permissions but um the cold war nuclear there's about 1500 of them in britain and wow. some maybe of them that's are why boris johnson was in the cafe he was going to give you the secrets maybe <laughs> that was it sorry carry on but um some of them are very small just three man what they call royal observer corps posts where they would have monitored fallout from and stuff and then some are bigger um so they they've these were all these monitoring posts would all have a headquarters they would be bigger maybe a couple of hundred people would be able to get into them but the uh, and then there were 12 that were called regional seats of government these were the big bunkers across the country that had nuclear war happened in the cold war era the main government would have been um, dissolved into 12 regions each with a regional commander and they would have commanded from these bunkers that's a short potted sort of history of it Um, i saw i saw i I'd forgotten this that you did a show in the in the bunker at Anstruther. I did yes, in Fife, yes. Is that the one? Because I I'm from Rome there, and yeah. I've, I've definitely driven past the sign that says you know Scotland's secret <laughs> bunker and be like, you're such a secret, no secret. Yeah, I know. Like, the funnest signpost to drive past because yeah, do the same joke every time. Absolutely. So that was one of the regional seats of government bunkers. So that's one of the big ones. So, so there's that one. There's one in um, a lot of them aren't. I just derelict. They're all full. They're all full of asbestos. So some of them have just been filled in. Right, um, right. But there's there's one you can visit in Essex, Kelvedon Hatch. Uh, there's one awesome. in Cheshire, Hack Green. Is one of the big regional seats of government. Um, there's a few. But some of the smaller ones have open days. They're not open all the time to the mm. public, but they they have open days. My personal favourite and where I had my um, Hindu 
is the Royal Observer Corps headquarters in Dundee. And it's just under a housing estate in Dundee to the point where when the, so I went there for my, um, lovely Gavin who manages it. He's a good friend of mine. And, uh, so he let me have my Hendo in there. And so 12 of us got the train to Dundee and we got in these taxis to go to the bunker and the taxi driver's like, what are you talking about? There isn't a bunker. I was like, trust me, go to this estate, go to this road. There is a, trust me, there's a bunker. And none of the taxi drivers didn't even know it's there. Um, uh, No, it's Craigie, but it's on Craigie Barn Road. Excellent. Oh, yeah. In, Next yeah, time. Yeah, in Dundee. There yeah. you go. Go. Oh, yes. Seriously, if you're up there, let me know because Gavin will show you around. But he's, oh, it's not open to the public all the time. But if you want to have a look, let's go. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I love the yeah, irony. I love the irony that some of the they were made. You know, they're full of asbestos. <laughs> so actually, the few people that would have survived. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, they would have had a similar fate eventually. The reality right. is that the people down there probably wouldn't have survived very long. They had rations for three months. So it would have been, the idea was that they could be down there for three months and then hopefully, you know, the fallout would have gone or whatever, then yeah. come back up would have been the plan. But, um, I mean, every Royal Observer Corps member. So the Royal Observers were, they were the volunteer group who, um, were, their job would have been in nuclear war to, plot fallout and feedback information about where the blast is, where the fallout is, where the conditions, where it's moving to, all of that stuff. Um, and they were volunteers. They were all under the Official Secrets Act, so even their families didn't really know what they were going off to do on a Tuesday night wow. or whatever to, to, to sort of prepare. But um, most of them, if you talk to and they got stood down in the 90s. So I, I try to make contact with a lot of them because they, they'll die out eventually. Their stories are amazing. Because mm-hmm. there was this group of people doing this secret work during the... You know, they have roles in the First and Second World War as well, but their what role in the Cold War was so different, and they're really interesting to talk to. And um, yeah, but they most of them said that had they got the call, you know, they wouldn't have gone to the bunker; they would have gone stayed with their families. Um, wow! Right. But, well, yeah. behind door number four, this time you're staying a little longer in the bunker. Right. You're living <laughs> oh. there. It's oh. happened. The stupid oh. boys press the red buttons oh. and you're spending the foreseeable future with your hen party guests, your best gal pals, and oh. one other person who made it to the bunker just in time. And that person is... John Lennon. <laughs> <laughs> this John is an easy one to walk away from. <laughs> John Lennon and a load of women. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No. Well, I know why you put John Lennon in there. So I, I, as a teenage girl, I had a really unhealthy obsession with John Lennon. And like when my friends were all into boy bands and putting Take That on their wall or, or mm. whatever it was, Brother Beyond, New Kids on the Block, I just had Brother posters Beyond. of John Lennon. And I just I had this obsession with him. And obviously I didn't know then what we know now, that he was probably a narcissist and probably abused his wives. But I didn't know that then. Um, and... Uh, yeah, it, it was sort of unhealthy. And I used to, I remember I had a copy of um, Imagine, the, the documentary mm. on video, and I used to watch it over and over and over again. Oh, wow. And I had this real thing. And I, I do what, like the sort of inner psychologist in me wonders if it was, I was such an insecure teenager that you're like, if you have a crush on someone who's dead, then they can never reject you. <laughs> do you yeah. know what I mean? I wondered right. if that was. But I used to, I remember I used to tape documentaries off the radio every time there's a documentary yeah. about him. or And, um, and I had these posters and, and like almost a shrine. I even had a, like pictures of 
his mum's house in Liverpool. <laughs> He's like that on my bedroom wall. And I remember my first sort of proper boyfriend came around my house when we were 17 and he just sort of walked in and was just freaked out by it. It was like, what is it? And then I, at that point I was like, oh yeah, this is a bit weird, isn't it? <laughs> I took them all down. Yeah. And for that moment I pretended it had just never yeah. happened, my John Lennon obsession. Um, I gave my husband my phone number um, uh, cut up. Uh, I had the sink, the literally seven inch single of John Lennon of, of Imagine, and I mm. tore a bit off the cover to write my phone number Aww. and give it to him. So I've still got that single with that bit torn. With off. that bit torn off. Oh, that's yeah. lovely. Just no, nice, you. That's <laughs> so <laughs> sweet. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, but I think, um, yeah, I don't think my inkling is that John Lennon probably shouldn't be in a bunker with a load of women. Um, yeah. <laughs> So I think we're all right to walk out. And do you know what? It would ruin the vibe, wouldn't it? It would ruin the vibe. I do love nuclear bunkers, but I've said this a lot to people. I don't. I don't have any desire to live in one full time. No. Um, that means you yeah. know. It's, um, yeah. I, I. I'm a. Yeah. I like to go and visit them and uh, find yeah. out all about them. But yeah, I don't. Yeah. And also, I love my girlfriends and the girls I went to on my Hindu. Lovely. Do I want to live with them twenty four seven forever? <laughs> no, 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 no. And I'm sure they feel the same about me. <laughs> So an easy walk, a walk away from that. Point. Easy walk away from that one. That's brilliant. Okay. We have two left. Oh. Okay, that's helpful because I wasn't sure what the numbers were. So I banged on so much. I hope you're not going to be late for tennis. Sorry. <laughs> we don't need we don't need the listener to know that. All right, sorry. <laughs> Here we go. Door number five. Door number five. In this dimension, it's traditional for TV panel shows to be cast with all women. Clever. <laughs> Clever. Brilliant women with minds like traps and bodies like, well, normal humans who love life and love cake. And you're the host on the country's top panel show, Would I Mock the Lie About the Week for You? <laughs> <laughs> Beautifully done. <laughs> so, big news. They're letting a man on this week. Ugh. He's not very funny, but he's fit. Oh, I see what you've done. <laughs> what have we done? What has the dominatrix done? You've, you've done a reverse big fat quiz of the year is what you've done. <laughs> Love it. Love it. We put all the, all the clever, funny boys in and then we get a girl who looks pretty. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, I, oh, yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> uh, your executive producer is livid <laughs> and they try to enlist you to stage a walkout saying, I just book funny, I do. And when they, when I'm a funny man, I'll book him. <laughs> <laughs> as long as he doesn't talk about his balls. Oh, yeah, because men never talk about their bits. Oh, so. I would to a man do 10 minutes on his about. banjo string. Oh, <laughs> Jesus Christ. <gasps> banjo string. Anyway, uh, so your executive producer is... It's Bunty Dan. Oh, Bunty! <laughs> Bunty wouldn't do this to me. Not in a million parallel universes. <laughs> no, no, she's the one that's she's the one that's trying to get you to walk out. She's the, oh, she's, she's on site. Yeah, she's on site. She's disgusted. The channel have said no. You've got to get a bloke on. Okay, he's not very funny, but he's quite fit. What do you think about that? Got you. That, that universe where it's where where. 
you know, weird, lumpen, chaotic looking women uh, get to. Oh, I've got so much. I mean, again, like you know, for a whole other podcast, but there's so many because I think I think lookism is one of the isms that we still just ignore and brush under the carpet. And the fact mm. is, particularly for women and it's for men as well, but particularly for women. If you, you know, there's this idea that women have to be somehow ornamental to be on TV. Mm. You can't just be clever and funny. You have to be clever, mm. funny and nice to look at. Otherwise, audiences don't want to look at you. Mm. And you see it in the certain TV show. And I'm not going to name them because, I, you know, my friends are on them and whatever. But there's certain TV shows that I call shows for clever boys and pretty girls. And, you know, there's examples where I go, well, the guys don't have to be ornamental. They are allowed to just be clever and funny. Sometimes they happen to be ornamental as well. Bonus. But, you know, they don't have to be. But every single woman on these shows has to be beautiful. And for me, comedy was always the, let us fucking have this. This is the one thing, you know. I say that to Joel Domit all the time. I love Joel Domit. But I always say to him, you should have been a pop star. This isn't for you. (laughs) Leave this for us. I remember seeing Joel Domit before I'd ever heard. He was not famous. And I saw him. I went to a gig with my husband and he, he was there. And I remember coming out and going, well, he did very well because actually he was also funny. Yeah, you just sort of go, oh, come on, this is supposed to be for us, you know, the, the one thing that we're allowed to do. And now, yeah, and I think it's happened more recently. I think what's happened is that, you know, there used to be a time where there were only three women allowed to be on telly as comedians. Mm-hmm. I think as we're crossing that Rubicon, as we're sort of getting to the other side of that and there are more and more women on telly, they're going, oh, there's loads of them to choose, one, to choose from now. So now we can just pick the fit ones. Yeah. And that seems to be what's happening a lot. You know, and that, look, I know... There's also, I mean, there's, you know, I saw Catherine Ryan talking about how, you know, when she started out, she had to wear, you know, quite... She couldn't dress flamboyantly mm. sort of beautifully mm. in the way that she wanted to. Yeah. And I think, I think it's wonderful that we're allowed to dress really femininely mm. now. But, what, mm. but, but, but it's almost like now it's gone almost like that you almost have to be a peacock as well. There's an expectation of ornamental, yeah. you know, yeah, of yeah. being, I think, be who you are. Like, be right. who you are. Right. And if that's who you are, brilliant. But yes. there's now an expectation that, I remember I did a TV thing once, this is my ex-agent, and this might explain why. Um, but mm. my first telly, I did my Russell Howard's Good News, and she sent me a picture of these sort of sequin stilettos. I'm like, these look good on telly. And I was like, have you met me? Yeah. Like, I've never worn a pair of stilettos in my life. I wear Converse like I always do. You know, yeah. be who you are. And if you're not allowed to be who you are, if there's an expectation that you've got yes. to be beautiful, then, you know, how's that How's that yeah. fair? How's that? And how um, can you be you and be fair? I find it... Um, I, I've, I've always dressed as myself and I went through a phase of wearing dresses on stage and mm. I remember the, which I quite enjoyed the first mm. time the first time I wore a dress on stage I discovered I put my hands in my pockets a lot mm. when I'm on stage you dresses I with pockets I never knew I did exactly <laughs> I never knew I did I was just yeah. being comfortable yeah and actually I remember the panic it was I was a comedian in Brighton and I remember panicking putting my hand down and going, I've got no pocket. I've got a pocket. And suddenly that became a, that became a thing. I do not mm. want what I'm wearing to distract me from being able to let go and be funny. Yeah, exactly. And I think, look, you know, I go on telly, I have my makeup done, I have my hair done, I wear yeah. something nice. I don't mind yes. that. But yeah. it's, it's another level of attractiveness that is, you know, it's not about dressing nice or having your hair done yeah. nice. It's about yeah. how, putting 
beautiful women getting the so there's an example you know examples of women who for example don't write their own stuff they get stuff written for them which, which you do if you're doing topical shows or whatever you have a team yeah. of writers but there's plenty of women like me who also write our own you know our own yeah, stuff yeah. who can do it yet the women getting the jobs are the ones who can't do that but they look yeah. beautiful Yes, you know, and they can deliver it brilliantly, and they're great. What they and I don't want to take away from them being good at what they do, but it's like, oh, well, now you've set a precedent that if you want to be a funny woman on telly, now you also better look like a model, you know, rather than you can be Joe Brand or you can be whoever. Um, and that and that frightens me because you go, hang on, we've over. We, yeah, we've gone, gone too to far the other and now the because yeah. there's so many of us now and that and the producers of bookers have choice they're gonna mm. i feel like the choices are based on ornament rather than on substance sometimes and that yeah. frustrates the hell out of me yeah um yeah. and that's where you see you know on the big fat quiz of the year thing where i mean i'll never get to do it now because i keep speaking about it but i don't want to <laughs> do it because you know it's always always six six male comedians Two yeah. female celebrities. Occasionally, like Sarah Millican's done it, Catherine Ryan's done it. They are, okay, and then they think, oh, we had Sarah Millican last year, so for the next three years, we don't need to bother. You know, it's yeah, yeah. bullshit, yeah. and it's not representative of. And th- there's no excuse anymore, apart from they wanted some eye candy. Yeah. That's obviously what they want because they they haven't got the excuse of well, there aren't the women available because there are, they just are. Yeah. But yeah. what they're saying is we we yeah. we're booking the women, not. For, to be funny but to be something to look at or to be the butt of the jokes for the boys or whatever. but they would never do they would never do they would never do um for five male comedians and the bloke from the sofa on breakfast tv no Who's, no never who, you know never or, never never or whatever or the bloke yeah. who presents the gardening program or yeah. whatever i like, can't trying to think no. of the equivalent yeah no but no yeah yeah just wouldn't. The weather, yeah you know yeah, thomas yeah. Shaffernacker. yeah, yeah. They wouldn't yeah, yeah. do that. No, you're right. And and well, it's Staffanaka will never do the big fat quiz. <laughs> but I think the problem we have <laughs> until it's always people like me, you know, if I speak out about it or we speak out, then it looks like sour grapes, right? It's like, well, yes. they're just pissed off because they didn't get booked or whatever. And Which is why so, you're in but, a really good position to get to talk about it because you well, do get that stuff. You're one of the few, you know, lovely yeah. normal people who get that stuff and, and yeah. so you are in a position. But, but also great. it's hard though, but I shouldn't be because I've also got a mortgage to pay. And if they think that I'm a troublemaker and they don't Mm, give me work anymore, you know, I've still got to think like that. And what I want to see happen is one of those six blokes who's on it to go, hang on a minute. Uh, Has no one else noticed this? Because until you see it all the time, I see all male lineups all the time at the minute. After the pandemic, comedy was getting really good at being, you know, booking women. Because there's loads of us now. There's no excuse. It's just yeah, laziness. Yeah. It's just that promoters don't want to go out and look at new comedy. They just want to book who's been in their phone book forever. And, uh, you know, and but if if we bring it up, then it's yeah. sour grapes because yeah. they didn't want to book you. Or, you know, oh, I book who's funny and all of that bollocks. Yeah. But what I want just once is for the guys to go, um, why are we all straight white men? Why are there no yeah. women on this bill? Yeah. And they never fucking do. They never do. I want those six comics that are on Big Fat Quiz of the Year, yeah. all people I respect and are friends, why the fuck is one of them not putting their heads above the parapet and going, um, guys, why why are we all men? Why are there no female comics here? That's yeah. what needs to happen. So it doesn't look yeah. like sour grapes. So it's them going, but they don't notice because they're not the ones being, yeah, or they're frightened of, you know, but then some of them you go, how much money do you need? Stick your head above the parapet fucking yeah. point this yeah. shit out to people yeah, yeah, because yeah. 
we can't keep doing it. It's not fair and it doesn't work because it just looks like sour grapes. I just want the, have the we got, men have we on those Have we got that sound effect notice. of the wild applause, Louise? Could we stick it in? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Oh, my <laughs> my oh, TED man. talk is over. No, that was wonderful. I, um, I have to say, in a fucking hog heaven, and I wish you didn't know tell as much. <laughs> That's all right. I'll be late. It's fine. Um, we have we have one more door. Oh, hang on. Did we? Did we? Oh, yeah, we, we did didn't slam we... that one, but we we did the. Oh, let's slam it. Did, yeah. Did we pick the one? Oh, yeah. We picked out Bunty. That's fine. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so cool. there is one final door, door number six. Um, but before we go through that door and have a look at what's on the other side. You have chosen being in the archers with Peter O'Born. <laughs> now you say it. I forgot about the Peter <laughs> O'Born bit. I really, let's just say, I really focused on the archers part of that, remember. Yeah. Well, do you fancy, before you hear about this one, do you fancy a swap? Fancy Ooh. gambling for whatever's behind door number six? Oh, God, I'm trying to think, oh, what could you possibly have? No, I'm going to stick because... I think that yeah, the Peter Oborn bit I can I can oversee. He's just another actor in the show. I don't have to you know I don't have to marry him, do I? So <laughs> you know, it's I'm gonna stick. Oh oh, Louise. Oh no. Oh no, I'm sticking. I'm sticking with the archer. I'm doing it. I'm sticking. Oh, oh. okay. Oh, what have I done? Door number six. Louise was very unprofessionally trying visually. She to was trying, and then I thought it might have been a double bluff. So I don't know now. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, which this it were. God, it's, I'm braced. It's 2035. There's been no Conservative government for 12 years. The pandemic is a distant memory. The food banks have closed. Global temperatures are already down 1.2%. We're bang on target. Nazanin Zagari Radcliffe has sent her daughter off to university. Pretty Patel's recent parole hearing was unsuccessful. <laughs> and you head home from a gig at a decent hour on a comfortable, reliable train, which was cheaper and more efficient than your car. You walk through the front door, tired but happy. Your still-loving husband is asleep upstairs and you're too wired to join him. You change into your swimming costume. <laughs> And you go through the door to your heated indoor pool. Okay, stop pulling. We have to get the reaction for this. Go on. Oh, God, I could cry. You know, this is my biggest dream. I mean, (laughs) sure, sure, the planet stopped burning. Sure, the Tories are out. Sure, all that, yada, 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 all that good stuff. But my, I mean, t- I j- oh, how much I want a swimming pool in my house. It's something I'll never have. I'll never have it. And I, I, I don't even care if it's like I live in a little terrace house and it's just in the garden. I just want an indoor pool because, like I said, when you get home late from a gig, mm. you're still a bit wired from the gig or from the drive or whatever, even after a long drive. And I can never just go straight to bed because it's like coming home from the office going to bed, you know. And, and I just always think the one thing that would send me into a, perfect sleep is if i could just swim 30 lengths and then go to bed because i think that the best tiredness in the world is the tiredness after a good swim it's the best you know it's just the best sort of tiredness and if i could after a gig have a little swim then that would knock me out i'd sleep like a baby and the next day would be great this actually i'm going for a swim tonight actually i'm going with my friends tonight yeah (laughs) but um but just to have that in that option in my house that i could just 
oh, I can't. Yeah. Oh man, what have I done? You fucked this might it, be. Mate. This might I've, be I've one of the worst. Yeah, the I first think... time I think anybody's ever completely regretted. I mean, you don't know yet because because actually there's already somebody in the pool. Oh right. So shall we find out who your late night swimming companion is? Go on. It's it's everyone's favourite donkey, Eeyore. <gasps> okay, I mean, I I properly love donkeys. You know, I had donkeys at my wedding. I had two donkeys at my wedding. Yeah, I did. I love donkeys so much. And Eeyore is my sort of, you know, for want of a better phrase, spirit animal. And... Um, I just love he him because he's wise, him. you know, he's wise yeah. and he's not people go, he's depressed, he's miserable, he's not, he's just wise and doesn't, you know, doesn't well, fall famously, for... not great in the water, as I recall. Never true, quite true. And also, it's you know... your swimming scene, yeah. I, d- I, d- I always say about donkeys, I feel about donkeys the same as I feel about children. You know, people think, because I don't have kids, that I don't like children and it's mm. not true, I do like children, but I say I like children, I like donkeys, I don't want either of them in my house full time. You know, um, that's, you know, you can like things, but not want them always there, you know, Mm. like my husband, for example. And then, so I, you know, I always love Eeyore's voice, even though, even though that was the Americanization and the Disneyfying of Eeyore, it was like, I suppose so. So if you like that sort of thing, he was so beautifully voiced. Oh, I can't believe I'm telling you. I always read him as a brummie. Did he? <laughs> yes. Oh, that would also be lovely. It, it, for my kids, he was he always always a brummie. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> that's lovely. Oh, oh, that's lovely. Do love him. But he would leave a lot of hairs in your filter. A lot of hairs and donkey <laughs> shit in the pool. Is there any donkey yeah. shit in the pool? Probably not. I don't think donkeys would shit in the pool. In the pool. Maybe no. not. And it would no. be awful. The hairs in the filter. Oh. And, and, yeah. and his little bow with and, his safety pin might come off his tail. Yeah, I'm not sure donkeys... Would like it in the water very much. And getting them in and out is a bit of a yeah. I think ram- um, actually this door's rubbish. Thank yeah, you. it's all right. I think it's all right. I'd like the swimming pool in my house, but if there's a donkey in it. No, it's all right. You're all right. You can keep it. <laughs> Do you know? I went. I went swimming with my friend the other day, and we went round to her house afterwards. She lives near the pool, and um, she got a cat. Right, and we both we had a swim, and we both sort of did that. I'll have a shower and I get home thing, and then I ended up going around there for a, a cup of tea. And we, so we both stank of chlorine and the cat came in and went absolutely mental. Like, was like trying to bite our hair. Was She was putting oh, wow. this face that was really... She went, anyway, Beck Googled it and apparently chlorine is like catnip to cats. Like, they, it drives them mad. She That's absolutely went... We were like, this must be a thing because she's gone properly mental. <laughs> so we're like, okay, so I'll do that again. For years and had cats. But they, mm. that never happened. But my kid, one of my children, did used to just when I was giving him this bedtime story reading a meal um he would and I'd have my arm around him he would just stick his little tongue out and lick it and go kids are great wow thank you so much you have been so wonderful and thank you for having me this has been a lot of fun Indeed, we're going to open door number two. No, we're not. Yes, door number two. And we're going to send you through it. But before we do, where can our listener, Santa's little helper, Jane Ferguson, who has five children and listens to Escape, find out more Uh, about you? 
Uh, well, you can follow me on Twitter at Angela Barnes or Instagram Angela underscore Barnesy because um, Angela Barnes was gone. Rude. Um, <laughs> but I and also I have a podcast because that's the law. And um, mine's called, it's called We Are History. And it's a, a history podcast I do with John O'Farrell. And it, but it's don't get be put off by that. It's, it, we have a giggle. Like it, you might learn something, but you know, we, there's a lot of, of knob gags and um, silliness. So yeah, We Are History, it's called. So do, do have a listen to that. Brilliant. Fantastic. Okay. Thank well, you so yeah. much. Awesome. Thank you very much for having me. Bye. Bye. Uh, that's all we've got time for. So follow us on the socials at E-Y-R-E-L-E-I-G-H on Twitter, Airly Doors on Facebook and Instagram. Thank you so much for listening. If you've enjoyed yourself even half as much as we have today, please leave us a review, <laughs> subscribe or tell a friend. Even better, do all three. Right. I'm off through this door to eat something that isn't a mince pie. Anything that isn't a mince pie. Oh, is that a mince pie? And I'm going through this door to drape myself over Bing Crosby's piano as he welcomes David Bowie in to sing Little Drummer Boy. Pa-rumpa-pum-pum, baby. This podcast is brought to you by us. We did all the work. The voiceovers were by John Darble. Well done here, May. Eh? <laughs>